everybody. Charles, I have but one request. Say it and it will be so, sir. Turn this up in my headphones. It shall be done. This is just a jam. This is a banger, a jam, everything in between. Hello, What's everybody. What's between a Welcome. banger and a jam, Charles? It's both. <laughs> I said it's everything in between. Yeah. Welcome, friends, to the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. We've got another really exciting episode planned for everybody today. That we do. I'm really looking forward to getting into this. I had a lot of fun when we recorded our last characters episode, and here we are back, ready to <laughs> talk some more about <laughs> some of our favorite characters in the fantasy genre. We are back for our second installment of the character series, but before we get more into that, we have a few really quick housekeeping items to get through. On our last episode, we mentioned that we would be reading Slow Regard of Silent Things, the short story in the Kingkiller Chronicles, but we have actually decided to not read that. We are going to save that discussion for a rainy day. So that means that after our discussion of The Wise Man's Fear next week, we're going to go into a two-parter French pitching fantasy to determine the next series we'll be reading after Lord of the Rings. And the reason we're doing this is so that we can determine the buddy reads early and so you, the audience, have more time to kind of budget your reading in your own time. So we're going to announce two more series after our two-parter Friends Pitching Fantasy. We have a lot of exciting ideas for Friends Pitching Fantasy. We're experimenting with the format. We've got a lot of big ambitions for it and we're trying something new. We'll see how it goes. We will be at some point reading Slower Grove Silent Things, yes, by the yes. way, down the line, as Charles mentioned, saving it for a rainy day. So if you really love that story about Ari, then don't you worry. Just stay tuned and you'll hear we'll it eventually. We'll get there. We just got to kind of, we got to, we're, we're very quickly running out of Patrick Rothfuss materials. So we got to kind of ration it out. Uh, can't just blow it all out in one in one read, so very fair charles we're gonna hold on to it and we're gonna treasure it just for a little while longer there is and before we get started i'm gonna cut you off there marsh because i hurts. have another um another item plan that was not on our agenda so for all uh -oh. of you that were listening last week uh we had a big debate at the friends talking fantasy podcast on did i drop the f-bomb <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no! I feel like you wouldn't be bringing it up if you were wrong. Well, so everyone, at, everyone right. at home knows what happened, and you know what? I don't need to introduce this anymore. I will just say that I'm the one that edits all of our episodes, so I've listened to it because I've edited it. But as of right now, Dylan has not heard the episode, so he's the only one between all of us that doesn't know. So I'm just gonna cut it i'm just gonna play the clip it's about a minute long uh, so, are you serious so let's stick with it i have a clip prepared here we go that's the one you read 
you t how is that fair? Amazon is the oh, most I'm frustrated popular e-commerce site in the country. How are you? Then that's what represents it. Some random bitter person who thinks they're smarter than everyone else comes in here being like, I usually read books in two days. I'm very voracious. And f***ing drops that turd. Oh! <laughs> yes! And we're supposed to take <laughs> it? We're You're gonna have to bleep to out that f bomb, Charles. If we're I didn't say an, I didn't drop an f bomb. Did I? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said f in turd. No, I didn't. You got a little riled up. I okay, didn't say didn't that. Listen back. <laughs> I said turd, but I didn't say that effing turd. I, oh, I hope I'm. I hope I'm right here. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charles. I think maybe we should just. Ended on that because I can't imagine that we can climb any higher than that beautiful, beautiful moment. I mean, Charles, maybe the best thing about us recording a podcast is now when we have these conversations and you drop something like that and then act like it didn't happen, it's recorded. But I, I do have to say, Charles, that it takes a, a big man. To come back in here today and play that clip for Thank me in the audience because as the editor <laughs> who's actually willing to put in all that behind the scenes work, you could have played it like that never <laughs> happened and I would have believed you. You could have just cut that clip. I'm sure you have the skill set for that. Thank and you. you did it. Well, you know, here at the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast, we keep it real. And I will say that in that moment, I genuinely thought I did not say the F-bomb. I really was convinced I didn't. But, you know, listening back to the tapes, having to put that bleep in, having to isolate the clip to play it for you today, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to own up to it. And I'm just going to make a super quick apology, and I'm going to make an apology in three parts. The first oh, part God. would be to Stella B. I'm sorry I dropped that F-bomb. <laughs> talking about your review we get very passionate here at the friends talking fantasy podcast and review of reviews uh really gets me riled up it was uh, that's my clear. baby if you will and it got me a little taken away so i apologize for that uh my second apology is to you dylan i shouldn't have doubted you i had doubts but i had to stick to my convictions and uh i admit to be wrong and i apologize and i hope you uh will take that in stride and then the third apology is to the listeners. I'm sorry you, you guys had to go through that. You knew automatically whether I dropped the F-bomb or not, and it's taken a week now for us to get there. <laughs> so I hope you can all forgive me. Just understand I, it gets very passionate, and it came from a, a place of passion just trying to defend Rothfuss's work and to make sure his work is represented fairly in in the internet and reviews on the internet. So I'm, I'm sorry that I got a little carried away from me there. I genuinely did not remember saying that word, but we're going to move on. Just wanted to acknowledge that it happened, admit to my shortcomings, and and that's it. That's all I got to say about it. That's beautiful, Charles. <laughs> you really showed so much honor and dignity in how you've handled this. And I'll say, you know, I'm no saint. I, I dropped the... Uh, s-bomb a couple times i have some <laughs> when i was re-listening to one of our episodes we recorded recently i i noticed that 
I, I dropped that twice. I do remember hearing an F-bomb from you at some point. I forget span. where it was, but you know and what? And I, I have those marked time-wise, so we'll, we'll keep this FTF podcast nice and clean. Okay. For yeah, our sure. international listener base. That's right. For just, I almost didn't mention, but I, I really wanted to. The FTF podcast is, has gone global. Yes. We've got listeners not just in the United States, primarily in Georgia, but also in a country quite close to the the country of Georgia, which ah, is Russia. Very true. <laughs> hey, well, yes, Marsh has discovered that our Saudi Arabia our, too. Our our analytics. So, well, we always get I always get updates from him on on where we're popular and where we have downloads and things like that. So. It's big. This is huge, Charles. Yes, thank I you. I never Conrad, thought we'd be a global phenomenon. Yeah, well, it's thanks to our lovely fans. So I, I can't believe it either. The fact that even one person besides us is listening to this is uh, wild. So <laughs> thank you, the listener. Uh, and hello, comrades. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> this is the Comrades Talking Fantasy Podcast. Thank you for listening. We got a really exciting episode today. In keeping part with our character series, we decided to choose a new theme. And that theme, as you know from the title, is our favorite protagonists. And here's how this is going to work. We each have picked three of our favorite protagonists in the greater fantasy genre. And we're going to go back and forth, starting with the question, what do you look for in a protagonist? And then how does this character exemplify the, the, that trait that you're looking for in a protagonist? And we're going to do that each three times. And it should be open to really fun discussions to get to talk about characters and series that we haven't yet mentioned on the show. So I'm really excited to do that. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Charles, I, I also wanted to chat with you a bit sure. about what this exercise of picking ah. fancy protagonists was like for you because we've we've been going through this in isolation and it was difficult for me at times mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how it was for you it was definitely difficult I and mean, even the last one where i was maybe harder than this one the last one was our favorite characters like of all of fantasy and i just really felt the the pressure to pick something, you know, something good. We're talking about mm -hmm. a really tall order, like list your top three favorite characters in all of fantasy is a tough thing to do. And I mean, protagonists is just as daunting of a task. So it was challenging. What I think helped was when you brought us back to that, like, what do you look for in a protagonist question? And that question really helped me guide to my choices. It was like, okay, well, I like these things. And then I inadvertently started talking about these specific characters. So these characters definitely are great representations of what I like. And that kind of helped me make these picks. But it, it did take a long time. And it wasn't until like right before we recorded this episode that I like finalized my notes. So it, it wasn't easy. For sure. If you get caught up on it having... I felt this with our first episode that we did with the character series too. If you get caught on this idea of having to present a literal top three, then you're going to have a bad time. 
And <laughs> I think that's why orienting toward what do you look for is helpful. Definitely. I also found myself going back and forth on how I define what a protagonist is. I feel like when I first said it, I was thinking main characters. Yeah. And I, I tried to stick to that. I, I tried to, to the best of my abilities, do characters that when you think of a series, you say, okay, well, that's the main character. And what I realized is in the fantasy genre, it's kind of nebulous more than you might think who the main character of a lot of my favorite series are anyway. And I'll say, I think Joe Abercrombie writes the best characters in fantasy. And I, if you asked me at the start of this, if I'd end up with any of his characters on my list, I would have said, of course. And I start thinking, well, first off, I picked Logan Ninefingers as one of my overall <laughs> favorite characters in our last episode, so I didn't want right. to just rehash him. And even so, I was like, is it fair to call Logan Ninefingers the protagonist of the First Law series? Maybe he gets the most page time or whatever, but if I think of it more as main character then I'm not sure you could necessarily say it's him and not Glockta. And and even so, like why Glockta versus even Giselle gets a lot of time and things like that. Right. A lot of modern fantasy books have that problem where they have expanded over, you know, a bunch of different point of view characters like a Game of Thrones and a First Law and even something like... um, the Malazan uh, books. <laughs> yeah, who's, <laughs> who's the main, the main character, character in Malazan? <laughs> so it's, it Peron, can be tough maybe? sometimes. It's hard Who to knows? say. <laughs> it's hard to say. Peron would, he seems to embody that kind of protagonist role. But that's the thing also. A lot of these modern authors are playing with the idea of what it means to be the protagonist in a fantasy story. So, uh, and I know my picks are definitely ones that, if not subvert the idea of a protagonist, definitely introduce new uh, ideas of what a protagonist in a fantasy story means. And I'm looking forward to having all of those discussions as well. This ended up being a fun fun little thought project. Uh, I'm looking forward to it also. I think it's going to be an exciting conversation. Let's do it. Would you do the honors of starting? I'll do the honors. I'll I'll start with getting a little into what I saw as themes that cropped up for me. I'd say that maybe the the biggest thing I look for in a tr- protagonist, if we're tra- talking true main character of a series, is that they're proactive. I, mm. I was feeling that over and over again when I, I was thinking about there's a lot of these blank slate protagonist when we're talking about a book that's really centralized around one character so one that comes to mind and i don't <laughs> i don't oh boy. bear any ill will to we go. the harry potter series but come on let's be honest <laughs> with ourselves harry doesn't have a ton of really strong personality characteristics which works extremely well for what J.K. Rowling was trying to do with Harry, which is create this character that you can easily insert yourself into as you experience the wonderful wizarding world and Hogwarts. And I realized 
that self-insert character just doesn't appeal very much to to me. So I feel like the characters that really take control of their own destiny, that will make a lot of strong, occasionally rash decisions, are the ones that I'm often interested in. I also like them to have some... Uh, hopefully grayness to them you know i like more oh, gray, characters. gray characters yes and so i'd say i want them proactive i want them morally gray and or i want them clever that comes up a lot for me and mm. i, I want to give an honorable mention to another character i didn't put because i put in my first favorite characters list from our previous episode is is Locke Lamora, who I think embodies all three of those things. But right. I won't be getting into him in this episode. If you want to hear me talk about him, then uh, listen to our first character episode. Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point because I feel like a lot of the characters that we chose as our favorite characters would easily have made it to this list. I know I had to kind of dig a little deeper into the list because we mentioned a lot of my favorite characters in in our first character series episode. So um, a lot of what we identify with is the main character. And it's interesting that you uh, did my man Harry Potter like that because <laughs> Harry Potter was not on my list either. Uh, but <laughs> I do think he fills a more classic traditional role of a protagonist, especially in young adult books. So... Uh, it will be interesting to compare a traditional protagonist like that to the characters that you have picked for us today. For sure. Shall I get into my first character then? Yeah, let's get this first character underway. Well, I'll say this might be a controversial choice just because everything surrounding Patrick Rothfuss's King Killer Chronicle is... <laughs> <laughs> somehow oh, <boy>. controversial <laughs> uh, and when I say protagonist in the Kingkiller Chronicle everyone knows it's Quoth and I've seen people be pretty harsh on Quoth as a main character we don't want to rehash our whole Mary Sue conversation that we had in <laughs> We've had just it twice. our previous episode. <laughs> so I'm I'm not going to get into it. I'm not here to defend Quoth as not being a Mary Sue because I think we, we already got into that in our previous episode. So I'll say the things I like about Quoth, and if you want to hear me <laughs> ramble about <laughs> what <laughs> everyone's too harsh about him for, you know where to go. And... I'll say I was <laughs> reading Wise Man's Fear as we continue our buddy read of that series, and a quote came up that seemed to, <laughs> yeah, seemed to exemplify a lot of what I like from Quoth, and it's Sim describing him, I believe. It's, you do go, oh no, this is actually Mola. You do go out of your way to make life exciting, don't you? <laughs> and I thought that that does a great job of getting across how Quoth is decisive and he's proactive in a way that a lot of characters who are the protagonists, I think a lot of times they can be very reactive. They're almost just doing what they're doing because there's a villain out there that is making the actual choices and then the protagonist reacts to it. Uh, 
I mean, what's Harry Potter doing if there's no <laughs> Voldemort? And I think if there is no Chandrian for Quoth, he's still doing tons of stuff because a lot of his choices he's making don't even have anything to do with the Chandrian, much to the chagrin of many <laughs> of the uh, people who read the book. Yeah, very true. But <laughs> Quoth, whenever he gets faced, as you know, we're just going through some of the stuff with like Dennis Ring and whatnot. And he makes some rasher, almost silly decisions that I know a lot of us wouldn't make. But hell, he drives the, the story forward by doing it. And I really appreciate that. I think he's obviously clever, maybe too much so for a lot of readers. I, I like that about him and his some of his roguish qualities that he presents with. He's not afraid to get in there and steal if that's what it takes or <laughs> or burn down things. <laughs> or start trouble As with people Ambrose, that are very yeah. dangerous. <laughs> yep. And uh, I just, we just, I just read that scene where he's in the, <laughs> he's in the, um, Oh, what's the name of the library? Oh, the, the, it's not um, the archives. It's archives. It's the archives. Oh, it is yes. the archives. Okay, sweet. <laughs> so when he's in the archives, oh, the Arcanum or something. Arcanum is the larger school, and then archives, oh, I think, got is it. in it. So he just feels the need to insert himself into. I was going to bring a, up that moment. Yeah. you wouldn't. I was going to. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, people are just talking loud and obnoxiously, and Quoth feels the need to get all witty and call them out all this kind of stuff and then he ends up getting himself suspended from five <laughs> days for five days from the archives and it's just such a classic quote moment of being <laughs> maybe too pro proactive for his own good and i'll say i'll take it being too proactive than rather than being not proactive enough and the other bit i'll say about quoth is everyone seems to be willing not everyone as we learned our review of the reviews episode but yes. a lot of people even people who are critical of quoth as a character called mary sue are very willing to admit that rothfuss's prose is incredible and maybe 90 percent of those books is told through quoth relaying his story so you have to give Quoth some credit for any time you're reading something outside of the frame story, those wonderful turns of phrases are actually great Quoth dialogue. <laughs> yeah, so, it's Quoth's voice the whole time. Yep. That's pretty much what I, what I got for Quoth. I, <laughs> hmm. No, I think Quoth's a great pick. I and mean, we, We've talked so much about him already, and we're going to continue to talk about him next week. But... I, I think he's a great pick. I, I was tempted to pick him also, but I knew you were going to snag him for yourself, which is fair. <laughs> uh, despite all of the seemingly apparent controversy there is about Quoth, I think anyone who actually enjoyed the books, um, who this style of writing, is, they're more open to the style of writing, uh, love Quoth. And I think the the whole part of it is how uh, the perspective of the story. I mean, th this whole idea of someone who is an entertainer by trade and has picked up a lot of talent in storytelling, and you, he, he's in the present day, this humble guy, and then in, and then you're watching him come up, and you're watching it through his own perspective as he's 
retelling his life story. It's that alone is an interesting premise. But then, I mean, the prose and the action. You could say that in Wise Man's Fear, I, you know, I'm about a third of the way through it, maybe. And the story, I mean, what in terms of plot development has really happened in the first third of this book? Not so much, but does it matter? Not at all, because I just love spending time with this character and yeah. and and reading what he has to say and his thoughts and his relationships and things like that. And to me, that's a sign of a fantastic protagonist where he's carrying the whole book and it's a huge book too. So it's all built on pro- as on Quoth as a character and and I think he's a great pick for this character series. Thanks, Charles. I think you summed that up really well. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing how people can can say that they really love or enjoy the Kingkiller Chronicle, but one of their issues is they don't really think Quoth is a great character, <laughs> which it's like the whole thing. Uh, maybe I'll receive flack for this, but <laughs> if you already, I mean, the whole upsetting thing all the Harry Quoth. Potter fans out there, <laughs> now you're igniting all of the Rothfuss cr- critics. I just can't help myself, Charles. You're usually the people pleaser. What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's all this talking about Quoth is getting me (laughs) to be a little uh, too snarky. But that's the sign of a great character when he kind of provokes these conversations. And I think he's a, I think he's a great pick. And we'll talk more about him next week when we discuss the wise man's fears plenty to talk about there i'm just gonna jump into my character now um go for it this so with each character i'm gonna re-ask myself this question what do you look for in a protagonist and in this character's case i'm looking for someone who is relatable and real a lot of what like i what i like about modern fantasy is how it kind of takes the books that came before it and kind of takes this epic tradition that is fantasy and and re- reworks it, reworkshops it, put it in a more modern scope. And for me, there's no character that personifies this idea of relatable, real, rewriting epic tradition in fantasy than our own Quentin Coldwater from the Magician's Trilogy by Lev Grossman. Fantastic uh, pick. Thank and you, I assume Sid. you're referring to Quentin from the books. Yes. <laughs> Not the <laughs> sci-fi TV oh. show? No, no. These are books only. <laughs> I think the two of us actually put on the pilot and uh, abandoned it, and we never watched any of it since. But yep. it's on its fifth season now, so good for the show. But no, I've, I've never seen the show, so this is all the books. Uh, and... Some of our more hardcore fans will know from our first episode that The Magicians was a gateway series recommendation for a lot of reasons. And I think one of them is that The Magician series invites a lot of comparisons to books that everyone knows, like Harry Potter and The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe specifically. But what makes Quentin Coldwater as a protagonist over like Harry Potter or any of the the children in in line which in the wardrobe is that Quentin is a fantasy fan 
he grew up reading books very similar to Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's obsessed with this idea of fictional worlds. And and the series itself does a really interesting job of talking about, you know, fantasy as sort of like, what is fantasy? What is magic? Is fantasy escapism? And these questions are all kind of faced by Quentin. Quentin is... Uh, this book's Harry Potter, essentially. They're a little older. They're like um, college age, like 18, 17. And they, you know, they live in Brooklyn. They live in America. It's a very modern setting. They're applying for college. And then he discovers that there's this whole other world where magic exists. And he goes to a magic school and he learns magic. And it's really interesting to see, like, here's a character who gets everything he wants. Magic is real. Oh, and I might want to say there might be some uh, spoilers. <laughs> I'm going to just throw up the spoilers right now. But magic is real. Fillory is real. And still you have Quentin's character. He's a, he, he, he's faced with all these like amazing discoveries. All of his favorite dreams and wishes come true. But his character himself is still kind of shrouded in this kind of quarter-life crisis. He's... He's always kind of depressed. He's always kind of self-defeating. He he doesn't have self-confidence. And he just always is like, oh, man, I wish magic was real. I love magic so much. Oh, I, I love reading these books about Fillory. They bring me all this joy. I wish it was real and I could experience it. And he gets all of these things, and it doesn't make him happy. He's still kind of, um, kind of lazy. He kind of has no direction in life. Like, they graduate from school in the first book, and he's not quite sure what to do his relationships are a mess they have very you know active sex life amongst all his friends and it gets very complicated and confusing and it's a really interesting perspective and I know when I was reading it I was a little closer to my quarter life uh, crisis myself in my early mid-20s and it was just a really interesting perspective to go through of here's someone who you know, what's the cure for depression? It's not having all your crazy wildest dreams come true. It's work you have to do on yourself. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, perspective. And most of the first book is in Quentin's POV. And we've, we're in his head for so long and we hear his voice for so long that we believe this image he has of himself. But what I love is later on in like the third book, we see Quentin through other people's eyes. And it's so interesting how Lev Grossman kind of changes the way he describes Quentin from when he's in his POV to when someone else sees him. Because now, like, Quentin is older and he's more established. And now we're seeing him through the eyes of his students. And they are just blown away by his power and his potential and things that we never considered Quentin to be capable of. These students are right away just kind of amazed by his abilities. So The Magicians basically is, I love these series and I love Quentin because he's successful in kind of taking these tropes of the fantasy genre, this idea of there's like a chosen one and you're swept up in this fantastical world and you've you've changed, become this hero and it reconfigurates them in ways that are innovative and contemporary. I just love the idea that he gets everything he wants and it still doesn't make him happy. And going back to that question of like, do we read fantasy as escapism? And Lev Grossman will tell you, I don't believe that was ever true. It's reading fantasies not to escape reality, but to survive or cope with reality. And I think wow. that's, that's a lot of... Um, that's kind of how Quentin Coldwater is trying to figure out, like, what is magic for? Like, 
why am I not happy still? Fillory is real. <laughs> this is like, how am I not happier? So really just an amazing character, amazing protagonist. You nailed that description there, Charles. <laughs> I, I will it went always... on kind of long, but I had a lot of notes. I, was, uh, I, I just love that series so much. I feel like it doesn't get enough love. I appreciate just sitting back and hearing you talk about that. It resonates so much with me. I, I think that I'll always think back with Quentin to the first line of yes. the Magicians trilogy, which is Quentin did a magic trick nobody noticed and <laughs> love it I, I think that does such a good job of introducing you right away to the subsur- subversive nature of what lev grossman is doing with that book because we have um, we have magic <laughs> being done in the first line of a fantasy series and magic and fantasy is supposed to be well fantastic and miraculous and to have this person doing a magic trick, obviously it's not real magic at this point, uh, and decide to say, and nobody noticed, is just setting you up for both Grossman's incredible voice and what you can expect from this series, because so much of it is about how reality often doesn't live up to our expectations, hopes, imaginations. Right. It does such a great job also of immediately um, giving you an impression of Quentin. That's so to his core as a character. He's like, oh man, no one's noticing me. He he comes off immediately as a sad sack. It's he's walking down the streets of Brooklyn. He's doing sleight of hand coin tricks, walking behind his two friends yeah, uh, and they're kind of dating, and he has a crush on the girl, but never did anything about it. So he's watching his two best friends date each other, and it's just like right away in those first paragraphs, you're like, "Man, this Quentin guy's a, a sad sack. I can't wait till he discovers magic and becomes like the hero." But he never he gets magic, but he's still the same sad sack. You know, it didn't cure him <laughs> of his of his issues. He had to go on for two more books to kind of work through his his problems, and they were always internal, which so great about these books i think that what grossman does through quentin is such an incredible depiction of depression and that's coming from a phd candidate in psychology (laughs) i am pursuing my phd in counseling psych (laughs) and i'll say that what grossman does that is is rarely done is depicts the parts of depression that are often avoided in the narrative, I think because they're almost viewed as the the boring part of depression, I, right. I guess, because there are certain reasons why a lot of authors want to work depression into their, their books. And Grossman takes, as you said, such a real approach to it because he, de- he doesn't just depict what's often depicted, which I think is, Things like suicidal ideation and just this intense, persistent sadness. And I think that's that's stuff that uh, people get into all the time. But Grossman gets into the way it clouds our abilities to see ourselves, even in the way that others do, just realistically. And how it negatively impacts our self-esteem. It gets into the anhedonia, the dysphoria, and ennui. Ooh, <laughs> we're getting these we often, yeah, fancy that terms. listlessness. Ennui. Yes. That, 
that's a lot of what people experience, especially just in this day-to-day struggle of dealing with depression, because uh, depression varies in its severity. And sometimes it's experienced as just, uh, like, I'm not able to enjoy much of anything. And I'm right. kind of just talking about representation. all the time. And right. I if, think that... If you write about... I'm going to just make one point before you move on, because you're making so many great points, and I kind of wanted to react to it. You're talking about this representation of depression. I I could be wrong. It's been many years since I've actually read these books, but Quentin's identity is not wrapped around his depression. And I feel like if you gave other authors or even like movies or TV shows to write a main character that's depressed, it would be like someone taking all kinds of medication and lashing out at people and having like hysterical moments and this kind of grandiose idea of what it means to be depressed, where Quentin is a very real, pretty much undiagnosed <laughs> depressed person, where he's not like taking all kinds of medication and acting crazy. He's just kind of like lacks the motivation and the fire to be the hero we're expecting of a protagonist in a fantasy story. So that representation to me was really fresh and welcoming for sure i mean there are many people who deal with very severe depression that's coupled with things like suicidal ideation and uh, it's it definitely reaches that point for lots of people but most people who experience depression experience it more like uh, quentin does which is uh very very tough state to be in one where it's really hard to really enjoy much of anything one when you're sad a lot of time one where you struggle with your self-esteem or with hopelessness Uh, but i i think that this does such a good job of normalizing that experience for people and driving home that point that you were getting at before charles which is yeah, you're not going to just have this moment where everything around you clicks into place, uh, where f- suddenly your life has reached this external place where, oh, now I'm I'm better, I'm not depressed anymore, that chipping away at it and working day in, day out, that's what's going to be most likely to help you get to a better place. And Quentin really really illustrates that that's amazing i'm so glad we have a a psychology phd candidate on the podcast to to weigh in on these things so i'm not totally crazy i'm backed up with hard facts and and a professional that feels good (laughs) i don't i don't know if i'd go that far i think (laughs) a lot of people find quentin a relatable character for a lot of ways and when you compare him to someone like harry potter who you know we don't know if Harry Potter was an active reader or not. We don't know if Harry Potter um, liked certain books or not, or or if he had any you know personal issues or things like that beyond like the imposter syndrome of being a chosen one character. And to see a similar character that's more modern, more real, go through similar things is a really interesting kind of counterpart. That's what I look for in a protagonist. Well, that's awesome, Charles. I'm glad you you brought Quentin up. So. Shall I dive in with yes, please my do. next character? All right. Well, I'm going to bring up a character that 
actually is from a series that I've read, but Charles has not yet. So whenever I do this, I try to slip in a little version of almost a friend's pitching fantasy style <laughs> introduction. But I, I want to discuss Nona from the Book of the Ancestor, which is Mark Lawrence's trilogy. I have trilogy, no idea who this is, Francis but I'm excited Day. to learn. <laughs> well, Charles, you know that, speaking of <laughs> proactive protagonists, Mark Lawrence just, I don't know, nails that bit. I mean, say what you want about, <laughs> a lot of people have probably read the Broken Empire trilogy. I know you have, Charles. Yes. There's a lot of really bad things you can say about Jorg as a person, and they would uh, yeah. probably all be justified. Yeah. But he is incredibly proactive. So I've always appreciated that about him, but I, I didn't pick him because I, I don't know. He's I, I, I was going to say, Jorg was on my too. short list for characters to make into this series, but he's just a little too... Uh, unlikable, evil. too evil, too messed up to try and defend on on this particular For series. Sure. If we had a character series, violent character edition, uh, he would make it on the list. But like, he certainly would make it on that list. Not protagonist. I think that maybe I didn't mention this. While I like morally gray characters, I guess uh, that also means that you show some signs of being a decent person too, which. <laughs> York does not really. York's seem not a decent to. guy, but I do love his <laughs> proactiveness, his matter of factness, the way he made decisions and acted on his decisions. For sure, I found very admirable. He just used them in a very like sociopathic, violent way. But I was there's a lot about that character I really liked. Yeah, and if you enjoyed how York was proactive and a uh, a character that was a main character and protagonist without being anything resembling a blank slate, then you might really enjoy Nona from the Book of the Ancestor because Mark okay. Lawrence does it again, um, but makes a person who has way more redeeming qualities. And I think Nona, I'll start with a description that another character delivers to Nona, uh, similar as what I did with Quoth, where... <laughs> Someone says to Nona, you, you run into everything heart first, expecting what? <laughs> it's like an ellipsis, dot, 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 what? <laughs> and that that does a good job of getting at this proactive nature of Nona. She's going to get in there and she's going to try something. It's not always going to be maybe as clever as some of these other characters we've mentioned, like Locke Lamore or Quoth. Um, but she is willing to put herself out there. She's she's in the arena. And I think she hits a lot of spots that I enjoy about someone like Arya. Uh, I mentioned Arya in the previous character series episode. And, right. and Nona is, for most of the series, a pretty young girl and uh, pretty as in quite, um, <laughs> not a description <laughs> of her attractiveness. And I'll say that uh, she does a really good job of what I, I thought maybe the show missed a little bit toward the end with Arya, which is maintaining this 
idea that the character you're writing is a traumatized girl who, yes, has some of these violent tendencies, which Nona for sure exhibits, uh, but also keeps those human characteristics that almost be- help better exemplify when they're badass. So if they're just badass all the time, you kind of fall into a lull with it. But right. Nona finds this balance extremely well. She's really, really well-rounded. And I, I think she's a real feeling character, though the world's very uh, different from our own. Uh, she, given her circumstances, uh, I, I think is a, a lot like what you could expect for someone. And I'll say something that she does really well is her her loyalty is a really defining characteristic and not in the not in the way that some other characters and i you know i'm already in for a penny with uh harry potter i, I harry feel like Potter's harry, loyal he's loyal but he's loyal like every character's ever been loyal and he does nothing to actually get at anything new or interesting in his loyalty or his friendships and I'll say friendship is maybe the, like, one of the most explored things in fiction, right? Like, the idea of this power of friendship being the right. thing that solves everything is almost a, like, trope that people make fun of and things like that. Uh, but I'll say that what we see through Nona is a nuanced, different take on the idea of friendship and what friendship means to Nona and it never feels cheesy and it never feels like we're going over the same trodden ground which is extremely high praise for a concept like friendship which lends itself so well to falling into that trap and she has incredible relationships uh, throughout I'll I'll mention a a few characters Clara, Arabella, Zol, those relationships none of which uh you know charles but if you read these series you would i think really really appreciate because i I know you appreciate good real feeling relationships for sure for sure nona is just extremely extremely a strong an extremely strong character and for all these reasons i was just discussing that's interesting. So you compared her to uh, Arya. Is she like a? Is Nona like a fighter? Does she fall into that like assassin, like trope area? Yeah. I should probably introduce her a little bit better. Nona is a at the start of the series. Uh, geez, I don't know her age, but if if I had to guess, I'd say probably around twelve or so. Okay. And she. She has some. I don't think this is a spoiler, but in case uh, you're really sensitive I'll to those close things, my ears, she has some mad. No, I don't not want the you, Charles. You won't, for me. <laughs> you won't care with this one. Um, <laughs> I just want to be sensitive to our fans. She has some magical abilities, which are revealed early on. And this is not a twist or anything uh, that help her be a good fighter. So she she is a fighter. She does some some things that the same way when like Arya just murders people, it's pretty alarming to imagine this small girl oh, like out there killing people. Um, but Nona, Nona gets in there and does things like that too. While 
just straddling that line extremely well. She's trained in a, a nunnery um, where it's basically a, a magic <laughs> nunnery for lack right. of a better way to describe it. We kind of talked about that in the, in the review of the reviews episode. You mentioned that. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a really frequently quoted first line uh, from this series that I, I'm gonna <laughs> quote uh, to get at how badass this nunnery is supposed to be, which is <laughs> Red Sister. The first book starts with, "It is important when killing a nun to ensure that you bring an army of sufficient size." <laughs> and that's funny. Nona is uh, <laughs> is quite a fighter. To answer your question, awesome. That's really yeah. That's really interesting. No, I would love to read these. There's a lot about that series and that character that I find very interesting. And you've only piqued my interest more. So we'll have to read it one day as a buddy. Awesome. (laughs) I can't Uh, wait. I'm going to jump into mine. Uh, My next character is from a series that you have not read, Dylan, but you are familiar with the character because he's all over the place these days. Uh, the, the question, what do I look for in a protagonist? This time around, my answer would be a character that is both fun and developed. I feel like a lot of time in fantasy, you have a character that's written as like the fun character, but he's very or she is very tropey and they fall into like, oh, all this witty banter and this grandiose fighting. And then that, that's who they are. But to have a character that can have those elements of fun and then also have like a complicated character and a developed character is really interesting and i think one of the one great example of that in modern fantasy is none other than Geralt of rivia from the witcher series by andrei sapkowski Uh, i am almost done with reading this series um for the most part i'm going to be talking about him in the in the two books out of the short stories which are the last wish and the sword of destiny but I am reading my way through the Witcher saga as well. I just finished Tower of S- the Swallow, which is the second to last one. So I'm about to start Lady of the Lake. And so I haven't finished the saga yet. However, I'm going to keep it more focused on the conversation of the short stories. Because to me, those are the best um, examples of Andrei Sapkowski's work. Uh, so the idea of a Witcher is like very simple in conception. There are these supernatural uh they start as men and or boys, and, and then they get, through supernatural means, trained to kill monsters for money. They're, they can use magic, and they're skilled swordsmen, and they're essentially these badass monster hunters. Uh, some other character traits common amongst witchers is through the, amongst witchers, is through the magic, you know, the supernatural training, they become, like, totally void of expressing emotion. That's just something that all witchers, that happens to all witchers, and as a group, they remain very neutral in politics. So this whole idea is like, look, we just get hired by anybody to kill monsters. We only kill monsters, and we only do it for money, and that's who we are. So at first glance, that's very, you know, traditional. It's okay, this idea of a bounty hunter, but for monsters, which is cool. Uh, then you have Geralt as a character, and at first glance, he's just like a gr- grizzled, gravelly-voiced protagonist he can come off as cold and cynical very much the the tough guy just like hmm, i'm gonna kill you like this i'm Geralt, you know so he's like very <laughs> very stoic and you could easily kind of look the other way and be like oh, okay we get it he's a bounty hunter uh but 
what makes Geralt interesting is that he does have this desire to do the right thing. And when you take someone who's fundamentally like we kill monsters for money and someone who doesn't have a lot of emotions and you put them in this world, which Andres of Kosky does a great job of making a little more complicated, a little more convoluted. So it's like what happens when you take this guy who's very black and white and put him in situations that are very kind of morally gray. So, like, you're being asked to kill a monster, but that monster was once, like, a girl or a man or, you know, or maybe there's some, they're trying to have you kill someone that hasn't done anything wrong yet, or, you know, maybe the monster's not really a monster, it's just a creature that a character wants to kill, and then there's people with political motives, and Geralt constantly, while fielding these bounties, is struggling to stay neutral in politics and and stay neutral in his beliefs, but more often than not, with these contracts, he has this almost like fairy tale like uh, tough decisions to make. So he's always kind of it, it always seems like there's a great story, and I I think it's um I think it's the sort of destiny where he has this line where it's I'm gonna butcher it, but it's just like if I have to choose between two evils, I'd rather not choose at all. It's just kind of his philosophy on mm. you know I, I'm not playing these games. But kind of a spoiler, throughout the that story, he ends up having to make a choice. His desire to do the right thing kind of forces his hand when he didn't have to, and it makes things complicated. He decided to preemptively kill one person to prevent them from slaughtering other people, but what everyone saw was him just killing a guy for no reason. And so he was kind of labeled as this as this butcher. And the first two books, these short stories, they read like fairy tales and they have a lot of these fairy tale tropes, but they are much more um, controversial in their themes and how they play out. And Geralt, it's just so interesting because there's these moments where he's doing super cool sword fights and using magic to heighten his abilities and potions. And these creatures are super cool. You have vampires and werewolves, but they're warped by like Andrei Sapkowski trying to bring them into the, into this kind of, modern world and also in this setting like humans have it's still kind of this middle ages setting but they've developed far enough where monsters aren't as much of a problem as they used to be like mankind is pretty much like developed all the all kinds of land and push monsters out and monsters aren't really as much of a problem so Geralt's actually struggling for work it's, it's very interesting so you have all these modern takes and and even though Geralt is cynical and and neutral he does want to do the right thing and he makes tons of mistakes trying to do so and a lot of his and because he's a tool for violence he ends up doing despicable violent things but he is the hero and he tries to be the hero and he just he's not the type to sit idly by in the face of evil and that's what makes him such an interesting character you you know you have other bounty hunters like boba fett that people love but Boba Fett has no character. He's just a bad guy who tries to kill the good guy, and then he himself Charles, dies. We are asking for trouble here. <laughs> I love Taking Boba shots Fett too. At Harry Potter and Boba <laughs> Fett. Hey, I love Boba Fett too, but he doesn't have a character. He never even speaks, really. So, um, imagine having a character that that's fun and exciting, but then also actually goes through very controversial choices and is conflicted with his own beliefs, and he's put in a world where these old ideals don't really fit anymore. It's very interesting, and it makes, for me, uh, those first two 
Witcher books, The Last Wish, and The Sword of Destiny. These short story collections are very fun, refreshing read. When in fantasy, you can get so bogged down in you know, like a thousand-page novel. It's nice to just kind of tear through a 300-page um, joy ride, action ride, while still being provoked in a in a more character-driven way. So that's why Geralt of Rivia has made it onto my uh, favorite protagonist discussion. That's awesome. I hear such great things about... Am I saying it right? Geralt? It's Geralt. Geralt? Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear really great things. I have... I've basically been in this place where I don't know if I should start with the show or the books or then there's the video games well the way, i think it's like there's the books and then i think the video games and the show have taken ideas from them especially the short stories and use them in telling the stories for those mediums but there's it's not like they're telling the same like it's not like the show is telling the same story as the book i don't think i haven't seen the show yet but from what i've researched mm. And I, I'm playing Witcher 3 right now, and I do, there are, like, a ton of elements that have popped up, especially in the short stories, that are, like, mission, like side missions in this game. I would definitely recommend playing the game, and if you had time to read the books, like, they're so short, especially those first short story ones. They're really quick reads. You could read them in no time, and they're a lot of fun. And we, I will watch the show one day. I hear, I heard it's quite good, and I'm excited for it. You've sold me, Charles. I might have to. <laughs> it's just I fun, might have man. To just pick, fun. pick up one of those short story books. I don't know if I'd recommend The Witcher least. Saga. I'm at the point now. I'm just kind of waiting for it to end, really. But the short stories are excellent, and uh, I, I just, you know, there's not much to really sink your teeth into, but they are fun. You can see why it was such a popular, successful video game series from reading these books. The video games do an amazing job of adapting that work. So he's fun. That's awesome. And he's developed, which makes him a great protagonist in my in my eyes. Sounds like it. <laughs> well, I think I'll. Unless you got more to say. Uh... No, I think I've talked too much about Geralt of Rivia. He's a simple guy. So. <laughs> well, speaking of, I don't know if I call my next character simple per se but <laughs> yeah, <you could. laughs> more on the straightforward side of things i picked a character that needs no introduction i think if you're listening to this podcast i'd be shocked if you don't know <laughs> a character by the name of ned stark <laughs> yes dude, i was going to pick him but you called him first so great pick thank you charles i picked ned stark you know, I could rehash things that have been said a million times about this character himself and how interesting his code of honor is. The whole, the man who passes the sentence should swing the sword bit will always stick with me and with many, many others. And I'll say that stuff is incredible, but what I picked him for is a little more the, the meta of this conversation about protagonist. And I'll say Ned Stark, for me, has been one of my favorite protagonists ever because of what his 
story ends up showing us about protagonists as an idea, really. Yes. That you can have this main character who, and Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, spoiler, coming up for the end of book one and season one, so (laughs) just in case. But you can have this main character that the entire story seems to revolve around who is noble and honorable and all these things we've come to expect out of our protagonists. And you can still kill them. <laughs> and oh my God. When that, that happened, moment, my, I was forever changed. <laughs> me too. And I don't know if I'm the fantasy fan that I am right now, if it isn't for Ned Stark and for the moment that <laughs> Joffrey orders his head to be cut off and it actually happens. Yes. And I mean, I saw so much potential in a genre that was that had work that was willing to do that when I saw that in Game of Thrones season one and that catalyzed a journey for me that has resulted in reading at this point countless fantasy novels and starting a a podcast talking <laughs> about fantasy with my buddy Charles over here yes. and I don't think any I, of that would be happening if Ned Stark didn't show us that hey yeah you can have a protagonist a main character but you can also kill him yeah I was gonna say the same thing I would not be here today talking to you um on a podcast format if it wasn't for uh, uh Ned Stark if it wasn't for Sean Bean's portrayal of Ned Stark and, this and a wonderful portrayal it is. Amazing portrayal. And that whole idea, like, Ned is the protagonist. For that first book, he is the guy. Sure. Everyone looks to him. No one questions his nobility, his his loyalty, his, his um, allegiance to doing the right thing. And there's a great, which character was it? Was it Cersei that said, um, like, you know, Ned Stark did the right thing and Ned Stark's dead? You know, what's that line? Where it's like, um, I, it might be. There's a great line uh, where it's where it's, it's like it could be Tyrion too. It could be, but it and that just embodies George's world of Westeros, where um, we have these ideas of what we're used to in fantasy. I mean, talk about when I was talking about the magicians, this rewriting epic tradition. George, I think, is the quintessential guy who kind of started this movement in fantasy of like, hey, you know, there's the hero, but would he really last in the same universe as someone that's scheming for a crown? They wouldn't stand a chance because they would just Mm -hmm. manipulate him to the point where they could have him executed. And that is just like such a mind-blowing thing for me at that time. And then we were talking about earlier, like who is, like sometimes you're reading a fantasy series and you're like, who is the protagonist? After Ned's gone, it's hard to say who the protagonist is in, in Game of Thrones, but because he's such a, he's so much embodied that character, he, that idea of the protagonist, and he left that hole, that power vacuum that sparked the whole show. No, it's a fantastic pick for protagonist. Fantastic. Thanks, Charles. He is he's so incredible for being a protagonist that subverted everything that I thought I knew about protagonist and talk and about spoilers even but... later on when you find out you know Jon Snow's identity 
Ned Stark still comes in his nobility and it does come back in such a great way of like, oh, so he was noble to his core. You thought he had that one flaw and then he didn't. And it was, uh, I don't know. You just, you just love the guy. He's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is the moment too. And now we're deep, we're deep into maybe real spoiler territory by talking later seasons. Uh, but he does have, uh, a somewhat, I don't know if I'd say questionable morality moment uh, where he kills the, I guess it's the sword of the morning. I want to make sure I get that mm-hmm. right. No, we'll have people uh, uh, basically where, yeah, Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning, who ends up getting killed in that duel where he gets stabbed from behind by uh, Howland Reed, I believe it was. <laughs> and then Ned finishes him off, if I'm remembering the whole thing clearly. And that's a moment that gives Ned a, a little bit more depth. But uh, all that aside, I think what's what's most incredible about Ned Stark is this piece that he he changed everything that i understood about storytelling anyway yes and ned stark he is did definitely that by the dying foundation of our fantasy literary careers and this podcast so fantastic yeah. pick um my character doesn't stray too far from that um the last time i'll ask this question what do i look for in a protagonist for me, it's uh, definitely a character that's interesting, but also subversive. Uh, and we're talking about Game of Thrones, and there's one character who I would argue is a protagonist and is the protagonist of Game of Thrones, and that's Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, so again, this will contain tons of spoilers for Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. Uh, but basically, what I love so much about Daenerys is in the beginning of the books, she's propped up by George to be sort of this underdog and this sort of virtuistic ruler. George does such a great job of investing time and building her ability to command power and respect as a protagonist of this story. She gains the love of the people and and Martin weaves in these elements of her personality that are brutal and prone to horrific violence, but because she was like you know a young woman rising up to power facing the adversity of of you know being a woman and also facing you know overthrowing slavers you kind of forgive her for some of those more brutal moments but george is actually giving us hints the whole time and what and what's genius is how these acts of brutal violence are told from the perspective of Daenerys who is a protagonist hero and she's rising to power and we know throughout the show I mean, we know from the show that uh, from the last season, again, spoilers, is her fall from grace. It, it, it's not a protagonist story. It's, it's a tragedy of, of, um, of a character falling from grace and committing horrible acts of violence and basically breaking bad. And, you know, say whatever you want about the show, but I'm looking forward to watching her progress at more of a natural pace in the books and i have a feeling george is going to just blow my mind even though i already know it's coming just because of this whole idea of here's a protagonist but when the real world gets to her enough uh, 
she falls into her her nature you could argue it's her nature because of her heritage her to, to kind of break bad and, and and become violent and to me that's just so interesting and i'm very excited to read about that change in daenerys because for now this people love her and even before this last season came out so many people were team uh daenerys in the people naming their dogs khaleesi or their kids khaleesi you know like their kids man yeah so it's like can you imagine everyone was so on team daenerys and then that was all george's intention the whole time he, he tried to warn us with using dragons to burn people alive and lot like nailing people to like crosses and killing all the slavers never showing real mercy which we kind of rallied behind her because these were such unsavory individuals but it's just telling of like, no, this is actually really horrible things that only a horrible person could do. So it's really interesting to see her her character arc. And for me, that what's what's makes her such a great protagonist. It's an interesting pick, Charles. It's an interesting <laughs> I know, like, pick. I had to clear it with you first. I'm like, does Daenerys count? And you were kind of pushing back on me a little bit. But I uh, I said, look, you can you can bring Daenerys into this i don't think i would technically call her a protagonist especially with the way things end up but you know people define protagonists in different ways if you take out season eight if you if you just read the books of course she's the protagonist there's no doubt well i mean it depends people basically think of protagonist either as just like one of the main good guy characters or they think of protagonist as the main character I don't think either is necessarily the right way to think about all that. And I'd say if you take out the last season of the show, then sure, da- Daenerys fits out one of those definitions. And, and, and it's a song and of I'm, ice I'm not... and fire, man. Come on. She's the fire. She's the fire. And I'll say the the official stance of the FDF podcast is, <laughs> correct me if you, if you don't sign on to this, Charles, but the official stance on the Game of Thrones ending is that the actual points of the ending, like how they would look on an outline, we think can be quite good. And that when George writes his way to those in a way that feels earned and deserved because he takes his time in a way that the show didn't, uh, it will be really fulfilling and, and well done I, I i strongly believe that yes and i would say that like the pl- the major probably the notes that they got i'm sure george gave them just like a one-page memo that's like here's all the stuff that happens post dances with dragons and it's like one daenerys is bad two bran bran wins the throne and it's, so it's like okay yeah. well now we have to like film these things happening so that part to me the pacing of it and the dialogue and things were a bit lacking, especially when you compare it to the standard of the show. But the actual deci- creative decisions made in terms of the plot points, I'm I'm in. I I think they're good. You know, I, that's why I said I'm looking forward to watching our character progress at a more natural pace in the books. Is all I'm saying. Me too. And there's certainly something that's extremely captivating about. Daenerys to so many people. I mean, yes. in a lot of ways, she and Amelia Clark's portrayal of her captured Fantastic. the nation's attention in a way that very few characters and actresses 
half. So there's <laughs> there's something to Danny. I I think it's it soured for me a bit when I think back because just because I, I do see that lost that moment in the show was I'm... a bit underwhelming but i was mm-hmm. so inspired by the idea of it for sure that i am very excited to to get george's attempt at ma- making it happen i feel the same way i think it's on paper and... such a great concept mm-hmm. daenerys in a lot of ways she <laughs> could put a bow on this this final subversion of the protagonist uh, the the first of which being Ned Stark maybe the second of which in some ways Jon Snow for not not ending up on the throne after <laughs> being the bastard who has ki- the king's blood and all that kind of stuff going for him uh I so I don't want it. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> so, right, we kind of get like Ned Stark uh, subverts a lot. In some ways, John subverts this hidden bastard to king trope. This like chosen one Daenerys, thing. Yeah, chosen one type stuff. And Daenerys subverts. It's like this underdog I, I crowd the, favorite, yeah. like can't do wrong. It's so great uh, that to rise up and become a conqueror from nothing. There's and, a lot of like, bodies. People along were celebrating that path. her. She would like she burned like a whole. She burned like all the riders that were against her. She killed all the slave masters. She killed all the nobles that wouldn't bend the knee. And people were applauding her the whole way. And I think that's such a great part of this. I mean, George is a brave soul to turn her into a into uh into just a genocidal homicidal maniac but <laughs> man i love it it's george for you mm, well let's uh let's keep our fingers crossed that it turns out as well as we're hoping for in the books yep fingers crossed uh, and that concludes our character series of uh favorite protagonists edition yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> glad we got to have this conversation. I, <laughs> I'm a little. <laughs> I, I think the wind got taken out of my sails a little bit in <laughs> talking about Danny because it does bring up some of that uh, <laughs> disillusionment almost. Yeah, it's a but, tough one to end on because it's so tragic in both in the meta and in the story. But uh, for sure, we love George and. Definitely the best in the game, and it's no no coincidence that he had characters in our favorites, and now two in the favorite protagonist series. So, uh, George's characters popping up all over the place in our character series. For sure, you're talking about writing real feeling characters, and George oh, just every single does that one in a way of that... these points we talked about today uh, live inside Game of Thrones and. I think that's why he's kind of the unquestioned uh, champion of modern fantasy. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, You're definitely going to want to tune in for next week. 
this has been another exciting episode of the character series favorite protagonists edition next week we're going to be concluding our buddy read of the king killer chronicles with book two the wise man's fear by patrick rothfuss you do not want to miss that yeah review us give us five stars i will say that with no shame i will ask that of you and yes <laughs> you can reach us at the ftf podcast at gmail.com you can follow us at the ftf podcast one that's the digit one on twitter everywhere else instagram facebook or the ftf podcast look for us Could uh, have said it better myself let us know what are your favorite protagonists in fantasy <laughs> let's have a discussion sure we'll have a discussion if you okay first of all if you review us we will review your review <laughs> and that's sure. a promise and second reach out to us also let us know what other kind of character stuff you'd want us to talk about because yeah we, i mean we think we always the possibilities have a hard time here coming are. up for ideas and we would much rather <laughs> we would behind much rather the curtain your ideas you than... <laughs> yeah you come up with the ideas for us you, you expect us to create our own original content yeah what we're supposed to entertain you with no help give us Jeez. a break what are we supposed to be come mind on, readers <laughs> time that you start carrying the load exactly pull your own weight and it's i feel like it's you know a one-way conversation from us to you let's i know let's oh I want, we want you to open up a little bit <laughs> we're just <laughs> we're just trying to like bring the real you out it's yeah, like this all comes from like a place a, of love yeah so <laughs> right. i don't know where we're going with this Charles. Just rate we us probably, five stars we love you all rate, just give us five stars and call it a day just go to, <laughs> just to antagonize go to them. Apple Podcast and give us five stars. <laughs> it's not hard. What are you waiting for? <laughs> go now. You can do it. All right. Thank you, everybody. And don't forget to go forth and conquer, friends.